We're going to talk to uh, Brian Haney coming up in our next segment. We'll talk some Kansas basketball. The Jayhawks looking pretty good. Hit him with the, the haymaker in the first half, and Texas never responded. Did it without McCuller, and yep, you know it's pretty impressive. Uh, pretty impressive to say the least. Um, I, I do want to talk a little bit about uh, those games. First of all, what is Kansas? Can anyone? Someone want to fill me in? Like they're they're clearly a very good team. Right, they're they're yes. not your traditional KU depth, but they're a very good team because they have beat Connecticut and Tennessee and really good teams this year. And what is their worst loss? Uh, probably is it um, K State. Probably the, the uh, UCF. Probably UCF. UCF. Yeah, that is it. That yeah. is it. Um, I, is this team capable? Likely, let's not say capable. Yes, are they likely to make a run? I don't think so, and only because I think you have to look. And I'm generally not the KU hater, even though I'm a Missouri fan. I'm usually the guy who kind of I'm more of a believer in them than some Kansas fans. It, it's I don't think you can look at the totality of their numbers and judge who they are because when you look at that team, they're they're third in Division One in field goal percentage. At fifty point one six or something like that, you think they're shooting fifty percent, but they are so spotty. And here's a good example of that: the last five games, the last six games, the last six games. Actually, we'll go back to the last seven games. Their field goal percentage in those seven games is five fifty nine, but that includes a streak of four straight where they were 412, 429, 327, and 441. They are so inconsistent. Those four games, numbers I just gave you, 412, 429, 327, and 441, are bookended by 689 against Houston and 615 against Texas. There's just too many droughts, too many stretches where they aren't good offensively for me to think that they're going to make... A, a really good run. If that was more spread out, I think I'd have a little bit more faith in their ability to consistently score in the postseason, which I think is the most important thing. And uh, But at some point, I think they're going to run into somebody who shuts them down, and it's all going to come to an end. Uh, what do they shoot from three? Uh, let's see. 346, right? Yeah, I think that's right. Let me see. I'm trying to find. That ranks nationally. 148th. I think good. So that field goal percentage, yeah. which they're, what, one or two in the country? Field goal percentage, they are third. Third in the country. Comes in spite of, despite yes. being nestled in, uh, well, Oklahoma State and now, Washington State's right there with them, too. But The one plus is that they don't shoot it very often, so they aren't quite as dinged by... The bad three-point percentage. They've only their their 465 attempts or 336. So they don't. Sh- it's a good thing they don't shoot it very often because they're not very good at they're it. They're 336th. That's according to in, in, in attempts. Yeah, according to and well, how many teams have we got reference. now? 380 or something now? Maybe about that. Let's let's look at the official NCAA numbers. I was just noticing that that they don't they don't shoot it very often. They didn't shoot it very often from three on Saturday. Uh, let me see what the official NCAA numbers are as far as. Um, I think it's like 380. Yeah. 383 is what I'm thinking as far as the total number of teams. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's like 
So, yes, t- to their credit, they know what they're good at and what they're not, and they try right. to maximize what they're good at. And that's why Bill Self's a great basketball coach. Yep. But can you really, in the NCAA tournament, go deep two points at a time? Like, I just don't think you you can... You know, we're saying a deep run. Like, is anybody picking Kansas to win the national championship this year? We're not flooded with calls from people saying they are, right? I haven't heard anybody get insulted, as is usually the case, when we say, eh, I don't think this is their vintage edition. I think there's kind of an agreement in it. But do you think you can beat, let's call it five legit teams, because they, my fourth or fifth seed is not going to happen. Right. Uh, barring some kind of yeah. failure here at the end, yeah. But so they should get a walkover in the first round. Can they win? Can they play five games and not have somebody be red hot from three on them? I don't think so. I don't either. I don't think they can. Yeah, and and, and at some point they're gonna. That's going to hurt them, or there's going to be one of those games where they just shoot 35% or 38% from the field, and they lose 62-57 or something along that line. By the way, there are three power conference, power six league. There are three power conference teams uh, that shoot, have a worse, uh, what was it, three-point attempts per game, that shoot the three fewer times per game than Kansas, and that is Virginia, who actually is tied with Kansas, uh, UCLA and Indiana. Those are the only three teams that shoot fewer threes per game than Kansas does. Virginia's up. We're going to look back and be like, how did they win a title? I know. I always be thrilled because I had them in my bracket, but I, like nothing before or after says that they should have won. No. They're the complete anomaly. So... Hey, we're right there with Virginia is not a phrase no one wanted to utter <laughs> heading into this year. I think the one thing that is boding well for them is like Timberlake's kind of coming around. Yeah. Like the game is slowing down for him, and he's starting to look like, you know, and this wouldn't be the first time that a guard has come on late. They've had yep. a couple of them uh, that, that really started. Who was that kid a few years ago when they made the run to the Final Four? God, I think he was even mm-hmm. a transfer, wasn't he? Or was it uh, oh, not Ronnie? Ron. No, it's not Ronnie. What was it? What was the guy? Anyway, transfer hit. And I can't think of the guy, the kid's name. But um, why am I drawing such a blank? I'll look it up. If only I had a device. Well, you had, had a, all the answers. A machine. What was the year they lost to Villanova? Uh, in the Final Four, eighteen. Eighteen, yeah. because I think that's the team I'm thinking. Uh, let me see if I can see his name here. Malik Newman. Malik Newman. Yeah. Yeah. Big Twelve tournament MVP. Uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say that he. You know, Timberlake's gonna be there because now that I look back on, he averaged 14 a game. Yeah. But if he can provide them mm-hmm. some offense to go in with the starters, because wasn't it Bill Self last week who was talking about like, listen, everyone talks about your starters, but your starters actually don't play that many minutes to, together. Yeah. yeah. Because said, guys are coming in yeah, about 18 minutes a game. Maybe we have the five guys that are on the court at the same time because you sub so many guys in that more often than not, you do not have your five starters out there. So, you know, Timberlake coming around, I think that is one of the things that we've seen from McCullough being up that they may be like, this injury, as long as he comes back and is healthy and ready to go coming down the stretch, but it's given Timberlake the minutes to try to find his way within the team. But what if he doesn't? 
I mean, that, that's well, I mean, McCuller doesn't. Yeah, I mean, that's that's one of those things. I, like, it's, we're it's, already bearish. I know on their chances to make it. But it's 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 such well, a it's such a uh, to me opposing uh, viewpoints. If, if he doesn't come back, I mean, so much of what is is viewed as well. If he gets back and is good, what else can they do? If he doesn't, I don't think they they are three and one without him. Yeah, with a win over a very good Baylor team. And an ass kicking of Texas. However, all three of the wins came at home, yeah. and they got buried at Tech in the game they played without him. Yeah, by by nineteen. So, so I think he's he's somewhat he's somewhat the linchpin. Just his availability and how healthy he is when he plays is very much a linchpin for Kansas. Am I the only one that when I kept hearing Fran Fraschilla? Wasn't it Fran who had the call on the game this weekend? I was just thinking that because I saw Corey Anderson saying Fran for show for something on Twitter. It's Fran's in my head uh, now because of that. But they kept talking about, you know, Hunter Dickinson's got a year. He's still got a COVID year. Am I the only one that thinks that the coaching staff told the broadcasters, we think he's a decent chance he's back next year too? Like I don't think they. I, I don't like, think that's crazy at all to think to now, think that because now we'll say this. We, we know that that happens every week with broadcasters. Well, I had Hunter Dickinson. Were he playing for an SEC team? We know that the SEC network broadcasters would call him the greatest center that's ever lived. My goodness, Danny has ruined SEC yes. network basketball for me because he has said it. He's like the the SEC announcers are such homers. They're drooling. Over what is Missouri basketball this year yes. was incredibly comedic. They are they're more homers. They, could, they had more compliments for Missouri oh, yeah. than they did Arkansas. And they're 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 more homers than the local radio broadcasts. Oh yes, because even some of those guys will will, will be blunt about it. But to, to watch this, every team in the SEC is is like the ninety four Arkansas Razorbacks. Oh, because the local broadcast the. Play-by-play guys usually get to be pretty friendly with the coaching staff, and there's one guy that they're like, they, you know, I can't wait till this guy's gone. He sucks. He won't do this. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. And that's the guy, the kind of whipping boy. Mm-hmm. Like if you want to, if you hear the home announcers beating up on a guy, you better believe there's a coaching that's, staff yes. that has told them, "I've had it up to here with that cat right there. You got to go. You will not see him next year." We talk about it. We don't just study the sport. We study those that cover the sport as well. I can tell you that that's a reality. It is amazing. Just just watch the games with the sound off because you don't learn anything from what you're hearing for the it, most part. It was embarrassing. Yes. Like, I felt bad for Mizzou because they were just so – look at the look at the huddle over there. They're oh. all in the huddle. Boy, the coaching staff's lost the team. You'll see them. They're kind of spread all over the court. Not this Missouri team. Yeah. Look at that tight huddle. You've got to be – Look at that. Not one person is walking away and pooping on the sideline. <laughs> it literally Dennis is – Dennis Gates really has command of this team. It, it's cheering little Johnny for taking his first poo on the, on the toilet. Yeah. Oh, you look at Mizzou. Yeah. They're taking their first and poo. As long as you know that when you go into it, it's okay. You can watch it and just kind of filter out any comment commentary on that. And you just watch the game. And, you know, if, if you're watching a game trying to, you know, learn something, you probably know enough about basketball to know what's going on without the, the announcers telling you. And in that case, in the case of the SEC Network, you have to know about it because you're not going to learn anything, um, at least not anything critical. Or uh, any kind of criticism from any of these guys. All right. And then last but not least, and then we'll break and get Brian Haney in here, uh, the Kansas State Wildcats. 
did they save their season? Save their, you know, when they lost Naquan Tomlin, the, the, the uh, my bar was lowered for them. But they did a remarkable job of granting themselves a shot yeah. at the marker that their coach put out there for them, which was getting to 500. I think they stayed on the game board. I don't think they moved a space ahead. I think they stayed on the game board. That, that's to have lost that game. That that's almost fatal. They they managed to win it to win a game. They absolutely had to win, and did so while not really, I guess, sweating too much. They jumped out to an early ten point lead and kind of kept him at arm's length. Um, decent little win, but that's a game that, that any other result it's better than a decent. Yeah, that's little true. win. It's a ranked team. Ranked team, ranked teams ranked have team been losing in. on the road all That's year, seemingly. So. But but I think it's, it's a, a decent, quality win. Quality win. I think it backs up what what we've heard Coach Tang say about we're just a couple of plays away. Yeah, yeah. Had they come out and just won one, won it by one, I'd have been like, well, what have you really cleaned up other than That's they didn't true. make a couple of plays? Right, but they came out and had a solid win. They cannot spit the bit against West Virginia. No, they absolutely have to beat Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. And then they got to steal one of the last two at Kansas or home for Iowa State, which means probably at Ames, at home for Ames. They're in, it, it's in Manhattan. Oh, wait, I thought it was at not Iowa State. No, they're home for West Virginia at Cincinnati. I they got to go win that yeah. one. Yeah, they definitely at gotta, Kansas. Yeah, and then home for Iowa State. Yep. They got to go three and one, yep. some way, shape, or form. That gets them to the nine and nine. That delivers on what he was talking about, which will resonate with that committee. And it is five hundred in the toughest league in the country. Never mind the fact that you did have one of the easier schedules you could possibly set up in this league. I don't know how deep they'll dig into that, but and probably win a game. Last year's tournament, yeah, I think they'd need to win one here. Yeah, but last year's tournament success, along with him somewhat calling a shot, and then because you're right, like right now they're even with this win, they're they're two and seven. In their last nine, so that that would bring Bad them home trend. at least five and eight. That sounds a lot better. And if you yeah. go back two more games, they get to seven and eight in their last fifteen. What are they going to say? I mean, the, the conference obviously is, is sort of known as a bear, but what are they going to say about their non-con? Because it they they won a lot of games, but they didn't. They're not. They're they're going to sweep that under the rug. There's not a lot in that non-con. Mm-hmm. They've got OT wins. Over uh, their best wins are Providence and Villanova. Both of them came in OT. And next best win out of conference is LSU, who currently uh, I don't know what they are now, but they were eighty nine in the Ken Palm when they beat them. Or does Ken Palm update those as they go? But the OT wins over Oral Roberts and North Alabama are not strong points. And what what did I say they were in quadrant one? Six and eleven. Was it was that was it that I thought it was it was Six definitely eleven. Was that it? I think it's what it is. That sounds familiar. I know it was a losing record. So, and, um, and four and five in quadrant two. And, and they, I mean, and, and one of those, I think they had a game. I mean, you talked about one of those directional schools, plus Oral Roberts took them to overtime. And I think they had, it didn't go to overtime, but I, I think they had a bit of a scare at the end with like Chicago State or somebody. I think they only, I think they had to make free throws. Uh, to win that 62 one by 55. Seven. Yeah, they won that one by seven. So yeah, it's. Uh, but I think five hundred and a win in, in Kansas City. In this City, conference, I think I think you've earned it. I agree. Now I'd, I'd have to see who they put in over them as to whether or not I'm like, well, that's not fair. But now, I think you've earned five hundred in this league and a win, and then five hundred in the Big Twelve tournament 
And I think you've done something. I agree. Now, I will say I also tend to, to side with, with what Parrish says, that for at-large teams, it, it, the, the tournament's so enormous that if you're a major conference team and you don't get an at-large bid, in general, you don't have a lot of room to complain. Agreed. Agreed. 913-310-810. Let's take a break. Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, joins us next here in the program. the program here on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Seren Petro with you, Curtis Siebold, Adam Gravetta, Chalky, the intern. We've got the two-minute drill coming up in the uh, 4 o'clock hour. Let's talk some Kansas basketball. You hear the music, people. Uh, Brian Haney brought to you by our friends at the University of Kansas Health System. Did you know you can be seen by the same experts that care for your Kansas Jayhawks, the official health care provider of the Hawks, together with LMH Health. If you have an urgent orthopedic or sports injury, the University of Kansas Health System can see you quickly. Learn more at kansashealthsystem.com slash sportsmedicine. Brian, my friend, how are you? Hey, you doing great, Seren. Thanks for the invite. I uh, appreciate it. And uh, if you can explain this uh, Kansas team, please feel free, because I can't get my arms around them. they got some great, great wins, and they don't really have any horrible losses. Let's be honest. We're, we're clearly grading them with a Kansas grading scale, right? So they're a victim of their own success, as great programs always are. But, you know, I, I, I want to be like, oh, I don't know that they can go deep. And then they lay a beat down without McCuller. You, you got this team figured out yet? You know what? We're about to flip the calendar to March, and we're still scratching our heads at times over this team. But it's been that kind of year, and we don't have to rehash everything going back to June 1. But obviously the roster you know, is not as we thought it might be with the loss of Arterio Morris in the preseason. Thankfully, Johnny Furphy's August edition saves the day in many ways for Kansas, at least in your starting five. But then you had players like the McDonald's All-American, Marco Jackson, take longer to click than expected. Nobody thought he was going to come in and be Grady Dick at 15 a game right out the gate, but you certainly expected a faster development out of him. And obviously, Nick Timberlake, who's a popular story today after his recent string of good games, he's a, a portal addition that's taken much, much, much longer to acclimate than what we you know, certainly set out to see. So it's, it's been one of those work-in-progress type teams, and at times, Hunter Dickinson has looked like the dominating force that he was brought in to be. At other times, you know, it's been other guys that have done the heavy lifting for Kansas, but here we sit, despite all of those question marks, some ups and downs, four court stormings at our expense, and all of that, here we sit at 21-6, and six, with four wins over top 10 teams, five wins over top 15 teams, you know, a resume that looks like a two-seed in March Madness, and some would say it's felt like a trying year at times just because Kansas isn't in a position to win the Big 12 title that they were picked to win. But uh, if this is a, a challenging or trying year and we're a two-seed, then we're a pretty spoiled fan base, aren't we? You know, you make a great point. Yes, you are a spoiled fan base. Let me just go ahead and tell you that uh, to your face. Over the phone, um, and which is a, which is a great thing. As are we as Chiefs fans, a spoiled fan base, and, and we love it. It's the best thing to be is to be a spoiled fan base. Um, but yep. you make a great point, Brian, because you know Arterio Morris w- w- was g- going to be part of the equation, and also what was the kid's name um, that they had? Marcus Adams was kind of in the mix. Like what right. this roster was going to be. You know, he was a kid who reclassified, was going to go to Kansas, and then didn't go to Kansas. 
that, that is, it, it, you know, is that all just transfer portal type? That's the reality. The new reality is you're not really going to know what you got till you start practice. Or was this just kind of a, a one-off fluky year? Great question. And by the way, Marcus Adams will be in the field house tomorrow night. He's played eight minutes for BYU this year. That's it. Uh, the entire season. Uh, and we just had Chris Johnson, the Texas Longhorn player, in the other day. He's only played 14 games. He was a Kansas signee as well that uh, ended up not being a part of the equation. But to your point, I, I think that the answer is this. In this portal age that we live in, where constantly you're going to lose some key pieces every year because it just didn't click, they didn't get as many starts or shots or minutes or whatever that they were envisioning, you're going to have a lot of roster churn and overhaul year after year after year, which means the the days of developing a really talented, let's say, top 80 guy in your system for three years before you ask anything out of him, those days are over. If that top 75, top 80 recruit didn't play enough in his first season, in this era we're living in, he's probably hitting the portal and looking for greener pastures and promises of more guaranteed opportunity. Now, fortunately for Kansas, the guys that left last year, if you go ahead and do some Google searches, that you know, Ernest Uday, MJ Rice, you know, some of these guys like Kyle Cuff, they're all averaging about three to four points a game and really haven't blown up elsewhere to where you feel like, man, we really lost something there. In many regards, you know, in terms of the productivity that could have been projected, you didn't lose much. What you lose, though, is guys that are familiar with your system. They, they know how to play defense the way Bill Self expects it. For a guy like Nick Timberlake, who's really shown some promise of late, it's taken a while to grasp some of the switch-every-ball-screen defensive concepts that Bill Self you know, makes a staple here, and that's where having more program guys that are in your system for multiple years, that are in your strength system with Ramsey Nigel building up their bodies for a couple of years, it, it helps to have guys like that. And Kansas saw over half its roster leave last year. And like I said, from a productivity standpoint, you were okay with most of those. Zuby Edgeford being another name I didn't mention earlier that hasn't done much at St. John's. But you kind of like to have a guy or two that at least knows what to expect because suddenly – Six through nine in your rotation, while some of them may be 23-year-old transfers, they're all rookies in terms of understanding the offense, the defensive expectations, everything. And even though this group had the trip to Puerto Rico in August to kind of get some extra practice time and all that, it's just taken a lot longer for the cake to bake, so to speak, with so many newcomers. And when you don't have any you know, trusted reliability beyond the, the fifth guy in your rotation, it's led to, at times, a, a challenging season for the coaching staff. But the good news is, as Bill always seems to so masterfully do, they start to put the pieces together at some point in February. And this is later February than it's maybe been in previous seasons, but we are seeing some signs of life and, and a pulse out of the reserves on this team that gives you some hope that should you get into March and get Kevin McCullough back, that now there's a little more trust and a little longer leash for those bench players. Because back in late January and even early February, when Self would turn to the bench, if there was a, a bad shot taken or a quick turnover, man, he was pulling strings and pushing buttons immediately getting that guy right back out and on the bench. And, and right now I think we're, we're seeing KU's depth situation force him to stick with guys like Nick and El Marco longer. And in a dream scenario, if Kevin can come back and return to fall semester form, 
you're going to be so much better for this time that he missed because guys like Nick and El Marco are finally starting to feel settled in. And hopefully it's not a fleeting thing. Hopefully that's here to stay. But they're stringing good games together one by one by one, and that's certainly something I didn't expect to see even just three weeks ago. So that could be a silver lining in what's been obviously a difficult blow with Kevin's nagging knee injury. How much uh, do you, or, or from conversations uh, with the staff, how much more do you think is there from Timberlake? We, I do feel a little bit validated that we're like, listen, coming from a smaller school, there is the, the chance for this to slow down and for him to click coming down the stretch the way we've seen some other transfers click coming down the stretch. So I feel like we, we maybe read that one right, but, but how much more is there? How much more can he be? Do you have a vibe on on how much you know better they think he can be? How much more of a, I'm going to say better, I mean he's a fine player, very good player, but uh, that you know how much more he can contribute uh, maybe from the offensive end in particular with the shooting part of the equation? Yeah, well, the, the shooting is the big thing because this is a 42% three-point shooter a year ago that was considered to be the most sought-after shooting guard in the portal. And I know we've seen other wing players like Connect at Tennessee blow up and become much bigger stars. Obviously, UConn had a great addition as well, but many Kansas fans think, oh, man, if we would have gotten Spencer, what would we look like? But here's the, here's the story on Nick. Athletically, we've seen it all throughout the season that this kid's got some burst and explosiveness to him. The other night, as a starter, he attacked right away in the first four minutes and beat his man off the bounce, got to the rim, got a running, driving finish. That aspect of the game, that quick first step and explosiveness, that's what separated him from just a lot of other really good, smaller college shooters that were in the portal. If the shooting that he was known for, 42% from three over a pretty large sample size, and he took 223 last year at 42%, if, if that somehow reemerges, and then you have all that athleticism that I spoke to, suddenly you've got a real weapon. And I'm not saying he turns into Remy Martin from two years ago, but that would be the dream scenario if you had a sixth man like that once Kevin returns. And I do think he'll come back. Uh, to have that kind of scoring punch off the bench. I don't think it's realistic to expect that from El Marco at this point as a true freshman. He's been trying to get you know everything figured out these first four months as a college player. But for Nick, who's 23 years old and finally settling in, if the lid just comes off from the outside shot perspective, the other stuff offensively is there. Defensively, for the first half of the year, at times he was a liability because he was still figuring out, like I said, everything that Bill Self expects and demands and commands out of his guys. But from an athleticism standpoint, there's a lot he can bring. And I saw an aggressive, assertive player on Saturday that was looking to make plays off the bounce, looking to attack when it was there, not forcing anything. But, but if there was an opportunity, he was making it happen. And I saw a guy that worked really well in concert with Hunter Dickinson as well. And you saw Hunter with some social media love for Nick after the game. There were times where they fed each other on, on two different scenarios uh, where you saw some belief building amongst his teammates, and clearly it's building amongst the coaching staff as well. So there's a lot of untapped potential there. But the biggest thing that he could do would be to make up for that 14% drop-off in three-point shooting to go from 42 to 28% this year. If somehow the lid comes off and he truly gets on a special run, then they've got a real weapon here, and uh, it would feel somewhat similar. The difference is Remy Martin was a 2,000 career point scorer at the major conference level at Arizona State, and obviously for Nick, it's, it's been a 
Grand Canyon-sized leap to go from Towson to Kansas. But I talked with him face-to-face earlier today, and he is feeling more confident and settled in now. You just hope there isn't a whole reacclimation once the NCAA tournament hits and you're playing in football stadiums and huge backdrops and all that. Because for any small college guy that makes that jump, man, that's about as big of a transition as you can make. We're talking to the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, here in the uh, program. Can you make a deep run in the NCAA tournament being 148th and three-point field goal percentage? Hard to say, man. I, it's, I, we've never seen a Kansas team, I think, struggle to this degree with the lack of firepower from the outside. But if you can get just enough out of Johnny Furphy in stretching the floor, Kevin McCullough can return to the uh, November-December form that we saw that had him as a midseason first-team All-American. If you get just enough to where maybe you're hitting six or seven threes a game instead of half that, which is what we saw on Saturday, It'll spread the floor to where this team can dominate in the paint as they have so many times. Not just with back-to-the-basket, jump hook, Hunter Dickens and stuff, but with K.J. Adams on the short roll being the force that he's been, with DeWan Harris able to create off the dribble with lobs and rim finishes himself. But you want to be able to spread the floor and and have a three-point presence enough to keep defenses off honest. And so I think Johnny Furphy's, you know, addition and ascension has been of paramount importance to Kansas. And you've seen the numbers. He's averaging 12.5 a, a game, six rebounds a game, and it's at 24 threes ever since being inserted into that starting lineup 12 games ago. Without it, you know, we're probably in seventh place right now in the league. With it, we're in third and projected as a two-seed on Selection Sunday. So his emergence has been huge, but it's got to keep coming. And obviously for this team to go all the way to Phoenix and, and have a chance to cut down that's Kevin McCullough has to get healthy. I think he will. Um, it is a big if right now. And, and Coach went from saying pregame on Saturday that he was doubtful for the BYU game to then in the postgame he said, Week to week, it's a matter of if. He's definitely out on Tuesday, and if we get him back. I I still think that Kevin McCullough's coming back. To me, that felt a little bit like a challenge. And, you know, Self is as calculated with his comments as any coach I've ever covered. I think you probably agree with that, at least top three, because you've covered more coaches than I have. I I think that while it's an unpredictable situation with the soreness of the knee, I I think that as this season winds down and the stage gets bigger and the lights get brighter, Kevin realizes, you know, there's there's a lot on the line beyond simply the NBA draft prospects, legacy, all of that. And I think he finds a way to get back out there for Kansas. And like I said, hopefully we're better for it with some real dividends paid through the emergence of of Nick and El Marco in his absence. That's right. The voice of the Jayhawks just called me old. Um, You heard it right here on Sports Radio (laughs) 10 WHB. I know what you're getting at. cover the Royals and the Chiefs and Sporting KC. You cover way more coaches than I cover. You're (laughs) well-seasoned. It's all right. I'm I'm both seasoned and old. Uh, It's a fact. It's okay. Beats the alternative. Ain't dead yet, so I'll, I'll keep babbling until uh, I'm do. trying. Yeah, <laughs> some would say based upon the way I crushed uh, the uh, the Haney turkey stack. Uh, that uh, do you know that Llewellyn brought down the uh, bunch of lunch for us down here. I heard that, and he texted me that the Haney stack got some love. So thank oh, you my God. That's that. such a great it's stack. It's popular as Bill Self mac and cheese, but it's it's climbing fast. It's at least a two-seed in the West region of the 23rd Street Brewery food bracket. It's a, uh, it's a, it's a great sandwich. It's fantastic. The little kick that it's got is... is jalapeno, jelly yeah. stuff. Yeah, it's, it's very it's good. absolutely yeah. fantastic. Um, we're talking to Brian Haney. The inspiration 
for the uh, the Haney Turkey Stack. Um, uh, Furphy, uh, how much did was the staff talking about him like he could have this kind of impact? I mean, you know, El Marco Jackson was really the the guy that everybody thought would be the lead dog amongst the freshmen, and it's been Furphy. Were they? You know, I, I know they were bullish on him, or they wouldn't recruit him. But did they think that he could, uh, you know, be this kind of contributor uh, coming into the year, or is that maybe even surprise them a little bit? When we first got the commitment, the team was down in Puerto Rico, and I remember the excitement and the buzz that, hey, we may have just landed the best pro prospect on the whole roster, but there wasn't necessarily an immediate projection that they would need him to be anything close to what he's been because back then, Arterio Morris was still in the mix. They thought Nick would acclimate much quicker. And El Marco Jackson was the McDonald's All-American that everybody thought, you know, would do more than what he's done. And so, you know, the, the initial scuttlebutt that I heard was, well, this, this could be the best Australian prospect since Josh Giddy, who was a lottery pick for the Oklahoma City Thunder, and he may be our best pro prospect one day, eventually. But you didn't expect this baby-faced kid to come in and, and immediately you know, be posting these types of numbers in Big 12 Conference play. And obviously, he didn't post them in the first couple of months of the season. It took a while to you know, earn the trust and, and uh, settle into the role. And it also took those other players I mentioned, one to leave and two others to struggle, for his emergence and assertion into that lineup. So, to me, uh, there were a lot of dominoes that had to fall to make this thing a reality. But for him to, to come in like he's done, going back to his very first start, and I'm not counting the, the Maui invitation when he started for KJ, but going back to, to Stillwater when he gets inserted in the lineup and all of a sudden with that 6'9 frame, he's out jumping guys for offensive rebounds, he's diving on the floor for loose balls, He's starting to hit threes, which prior to that we'd only seen little glimpses of. And, and you know, we're told his ability to, to score in transition and score off the dribble as a longer guy but a very athletic guy could actually be the biggest strength of his game, not two-point shooting, but driving it aggressively. Just imagine if he does come back next year and he's more of a focal point within the offense, has a full additional year, of strength training with Ramsey Nijem, our strength coach who used to be with the Sacramento Kings, a full additional year of, of defensive principles from Bill Self. Uh, because while he's, he's starting to scratch the surface of, of what he can be on that end of the floor with tips and steals and some nice defensive plays, there's realistically a long ways he still needs to go defensively before he can guard, guard grown men in the NBA. But uh, we're seeing the, the glimpses in other regards that make you think this could be a truly special player with the right amount of seasoning and coaching and all of that. Coach Self likens him to a baby deer that's still kind of learning how to, to run and, and get his legs underneath him. But, man, has he been great for Kansas. And so he's hoping that there's a special march run in front of him. I know a lot of folks are already talking about you know draft prospects and that kind of thing, but dare to dream with me, if you would, uh, of just the type of force he could be with a full extra year under Bill Self's way. Um, yes. And uh, is it wishful thinking? I mean, that was, I know you were calling the game uh, for, for the Jayhawk Radio Network and here on Sports Radio 810 WHB, your home of the Kansas Jayhawks. The television broadcast was talking quite a bit about it's a weak draft class. Do you jump in there and take advantage of it? How, what, what, what kind of odds do you think there are on, on where he'd be, on whether he'll be back? It's a fair question. 
it's a fair question because of the the lack of of, uh, of depth in this draft. And you know, I saw the Athletic last week moved him all the way up to 13th, which was mind blowing to me because. Six weeks ago, he was seventh in our team's rotation. It's hard to imagine him being 13th in the world's rotation of draft picks, at least. But uh, but that's the the hot you know, run that he's been on and the weakness of this 2024 20, draft class. I think more realistically, you see ESPN and CBS having him at 29 and 22. And to me, if he's toward the very back end of the first round to where there's some question, are you a first rounder or not, you absolutely come back. I, I think he could be the type of Big 12 player of the year and and all-American type player that not only makes his brand bigger at the time he enters the league, but as you know, it's all about the second contract in the NBA and his readiness a full year from now, just physically. As as you look at him, he's put on a decent amount of muscle since he's gotten here, but he's still very thin and wiry. And imagining him trying to guard grown men at the next level today would be a bit daunting. But you give him a full year of maturity Physically, mentally, basketball savvy, all that. Uh, a guy that's, that's got the ball in his hands in all the key moments, playing on the biggest of stages as opposed to going back and forth between the league and the G League and all that. I think he could grow so much more as a player, set himself up for a much larger immediate impact in the NBA, and then obviously put himself in the best of positions for that second contract at the pro level. But is there some wishful thinking in there? Sure, of course there is. But at the end of the day, at Kansas, Coach Self will say, we want what's best for our guys. And for Grady Dick, he was a lottery pick, and that ended up being the right thing for his you know, immediate pro prospects. Uh, it's crazy to think how good this Kansas team might be if you still had Brady on it, considering what you opened the interview with, KU's lack of three-point shooting. Just imagine if number four was still here. But uh, I think that in the case of these two, while Johnny does a lot of different things than Grady, there's a lot of polish that Brady came in with that Johnny still doesn't have, and some things that an extra year in this system and an extra year of strength training will bring him. So we'll see, you know, but obviously if they make a deep run all the way to Phoenix and he plays a pivotal role in that, that could change a lot. But right now, I tend to agree more with some of those monsters that have him in the late first as opposed to the one that faulted him all the way up to number 18. Brian Haney's with us. Time for our final four. It is brought to you by the University of Kansas Health System, the official health care provider of Kansas Athletics, together with LMH Health. If you have an urgent orthopedic or sports injury, the University of Kansas Health System can see you quickly. Learn more at kansashealthsystem.com slash sportsmedicine. Uh, I'll start you with this. Uh, what is KU seed when uh, the bracket comes out? Well, right now, everybody's projecting a two-seed, and depending on who your one is, I'm fine with that. Uh, you fly a little bit more under the radar that way, and uh, you know, obviously you want to stay off of uh, the four-seed line if they were to really tumble, but that's not going to happen with their quality wins at this point. So they look like a, a solid two, no worse than a three. But, uh, yeah, in this year in the NCAA tournament, I mean, you're going to be facing legit teams starting in round two as they did a year ago, and uh, this is not a team that has much margin for error, so we'll take any seating break in our advantage we can get. We, we mentioned the uh, wonderful uh, Haney turkey stacks that were brought down by Matt Lowell, the fine proprietor of 23rd Street Brewery. Uh, tell me, when was the last time you had a Haney turkey stack? About a month ago. I've been trying to eat healthier. Not that it's not... You know, Whoa! 
It's turkey, <laughs> man. The bacon and the cheese and the three layers of, of sourdough bread and all that. I, I've been leaning more toward the crown chicken salad with grilled chicken named after Miles Snare, Crown Automotive. So that's probably the one I've been leaning more toward of late. Well, let's get your name off that sandwich and get mine on it then, because I, I will be proud to uh, rep that sandwich. Nothing now. more annoying than a thin guy yeah. eating healthy. Oh, i got to watch uh, Shade Over 165. i got to... Um, uh, Dickinson, barefoot. What's his height? Oh, wow. Barefoot. Maybe... Seven flat? I don't know. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I haven't stood back to back with the guy. I'm, I'm 6'3, 220, by the way, so don't give me this uh, shade over 160. 220, my <laughs> ass. You're not 220. Stop. Uh, but Dickinson, I think, might be a legit barefoot seven footer. I know they talk about him being 7'2 or 7'3, but, uh, you know, talking to him and standing near him at a, at a charity event, he's quite tall. Quite tall. Uh, he might be a legit seven foot. Um, because there aren't many. Usually in the NFL Combine, people don't realize this. There are 25 guys listed at seven feet that go to the Combine, and there's like two guys that will actually barefoot measure seven feet most years. So, um, And finally, do you have a souvenir uh, with the demolition going on at the uh, football stadium? Are you getting uh, you know a seat, uh, a chunk of concrete? Are you getting something from the demo to have as a keepsake? I put in the request because they definitely know I'm a big memorabilia guy, and I was told they'd take care of me in some regard, but I haven't seen yet what it is. So hopefully it, it is, you know, some kind of seat, but you know, most of those are just the, uh, you know, the, the plain metal bleacher type thing, not a true seat back. But, well, uh, yeah, there's got to be something there because 102 years of that place and many games called, many memories of my dad going, sure. going to Memorial Stadium. I hope I get something. Uh, you got to be getting something soon because uh, Nate Bucati, they gave him his keepsake. It was uh, one of the handles on one of the toilets. Yeah. Uh, they're like, here you go, Nate. <laughs> This is what you mean to us, buddy. Take oh, this and, and and But it's what he wanted, which is even stranger. Put it someplace special, uh, if you would. So he shined it up real nice and you know, he wears it as a necklace now. Did you know that? <laughs> yeah. Cool. I, I could actually see him actually putting it in as a functional toilet flusher in the BKD household. <laughs> I know he's got a really cool it's a true story. He's got a really cool Raul Abanez game used bat. It's one of his prize pieces. So you could have that flusher handle right next to the Abanez bat. Yeah, maybe even get some kind of you know take it to a Art and Frame Warehouse, have my guys uh, make him some kind of fancy holder that can display both of them, you know, in all their glory. Uh we'll get we'll get Michael to go to work on that. Uh, Brian, it's always a treat to talk to you, buddy. You're the best. Uh, we appreciate it. Keep up the great work. We love having the Hawks and your calls, you and Gurley, uh, on the uh, broadcast. So keep it up, and we'll talk again soon. Really appreciate it, guys. I hope we can talk a lot in March and uh, play our cards right, maybe just maybe all the way to April. But it's always a treat to get to come on with you. So thank you so much. Yeah, you're the best. Brian Haney, uh, the voice of the Jayhawks. Um, not been a month since yeah. the uh the the Haney turkey stack. I don't buy it. The kid won yesterday. Do you think when he had it it, it was a a rim rocking two handed could have been Haney stack turkey slam? Thunder thunder jam. <laughs> I believe it was. I believe it was too. I believe it was too. He rock snarfed it up. <laughs> uh we'll take a break. Uh come back, talk a little more basketball next here in the program. 
All right, the Joe's Kansas City Barbecue burnt end of the hour answer before Nikola Jokic, who was the last player to have 80 points, 50 rebounds, and 45 assists over a three-game span. You got this one pretty quickly. Wilt Will Chamberlain, Chamberlain, 1968. The Joker is doing things that the only guy that he can be compared to is Will Chamberlain. Unreal. He is uh, one of one. Yes, he is... And incredible, and incredibly entertaining to watch as well. Because yeah, he does it in a um, way you've never really seen it happen before. And as long as the basketball's been around, when you can do something that you have not seen before, quite, quite the combination of skills, it is... Uh, it stands out, man. But thank God they're showing the Lakers and Warriors on TV. Oh, God. Just endlessly. Uh, endlessly it's on. They they are they're always like one of them played the early game and the other one played the late game last night. Like you cannot avoid those two teams. Go All right, college hoops. Since two thousand, how many teams have beat the AP number one by fifteen, then lost to an unranked team by ten in back to back games? Brought to you by Good Sense.